For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrows upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Yahweh tests the righteousness. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. May he rain snares upon the wicked. Fire and brimstone upon the burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For Yahweh is righteous. He, he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. These are the very words of God. Blessed be the words of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your great throne of grace this morning, not by any merit of our own. We know that except by your grace and your grace alone, we are just like these wicked men. And we thank you for your grace and salvation. Lord, today as Pastor John comes up to share um, and expound your truths to us, let our hearts and our ears be opened. We may receive them. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you probably do not know the name Harrison O'Keen, but in 2013, he became fairly famous. His story unfolds in the depths of the Atlantic Ocean. He was a cook and a crew member of the Jascon 4, a tugboat that was out to sea. They encountered extremely heavy seas, and as a result, the ship was swamped and sank. Harrison O'Keen was trapped within the wreckage at just over 100 feet. He found his place of refuge as a small area the size of a bathtub. And he lived under the ocean for three days. When the rescue crews came, or I should say the recovery crews came, to recover bodies from the wreck, imagine their surprise when they found a man still alive in a little place of refuge 100 feet below the surface of the ocean. This tiny space was his sole container of safety and comfort for these terrifying three days. He lived against all odds, seeking refuge in the only place that was available, a pocket of air the size of a bathtub, for three days. This leads us into this particular psalm titled, God is my refuge, or the Lord is my refuge, here. It is a psalm of David, unknown what has caused it to be written. The usual suspects are Saul and Absalom, but the tenor and the nature 
of this particular psalm don't point to either one, and so we're not 100% positive of what, is, what the direct cause of this, the writing of the psalm is. Nonetheless, there are many points that we find in here about the things that David is experiencing. Speaking about the things that are troubling him, and more than likely, it at this point in time, is troublesome words that are coming to him from others. People that are attacking his character and beliefs that are, are occurring here. We will see here that it is either one person or multiple people that are causing this. But his response in this first verse, in the Lord I take refuge, stands at the head of this psalm and sets the tenor or the meaning for the entirety of the psalm. In the Lord I take refuge. There is nothing and no one else to take refuge in but the Lord. It is his pre-answer to the question that is asked, or that is there that says, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? So this gives us an idea of what's going on. Something bad is happening to David, and somebody is saying, run. That is what you're to do. You are to run away from this, to avoid this, to get far away, to run and hide in the hills. That, by the way, would say that it's not with regard to Absalom that this is written. Because we know that David did go into the hills for a period of time. Whoever it is, they want him to run, to flee. For David, that is ridiculous. That is not something to be done. Because he just said, in the Lord, I take refuge. In God, I take refuge. This is where I find my safety. This is where I find my comfort. He knows that the Lord is with him and has him in all things, even if he should be facing death. What is refuge, then, we could ask ourselves? As I've hinted at before, it's a place of safety, it's comfort, it's a place where you cannot be attacked, it's a place where the enemies can't get to, it's a place where the wicked cannot come. The refuge that is there is like a fortress that is unable to be attacked. The refuge is like a high mountain that is with cliffs on either side that no one can get to except for the people that are supposed to be there. It is a place of ultimate safety. It is a place where he could walk and live and not worry about anything. That it is all taken care of. That his cares and worries and stresses are gone. That is what refuge is. And he has just said, in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I find my safety. In the Lord I find my comfort. In the Lord I find my stresses gone. In the Lord I find all the things that I'm concerned with taken away. Nothing can attack me because my refuge is in the Lord. That's his response to somebody who says flee. To somebody who says run 
to the mountains. Get away from this. It's under your control. You can do this. He's saying, it is not under my control. It is in the Lord's control. It is in Him that I find refuge. Think to a couple things in David's life that spoke of this. For example, we could say 2 Samuel. If you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. He's seeking deliverance from the hand of Saul. In verse 2 and verse 3 of Saul, of 2 Samuel 22, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Then come forward in that same chapter to verse 31. And just an aside, I'm not sure. I have a number of scripture references here. They're not all going to be on the screen. 2 Samuel 22, verse 31 to 33. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is the shield to all who take refuge in him. That shield is the one that David references in Psalm 3. It is a shield around about him that is on all sides of him that protects him front and back and from side to side. That there is nothing that can assail him found in the Lord's purview. Verse 32, for, he is, for who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock beside our God? 33, God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in his way. He is the one through the blameless, the righteous, those who believe in him find their refuge. Even though it is chaos around them, to be found in the Lord is to find refuge and safety and comfort. To realize that God is sovereign over all the things that are occurring and nothing occurs outside of his purview, out of his view. Every sparrow that falls to the ground, he knows the exact location where they go. He knows the exact location of every grain of sand on this earth and the exact location of every atom that is in the universe. He knows everything where it's at, including those that might be slandering David, including exactly what is happening in your life right now. Not only does he know these things, but found abiding in Christ, Jesus, he cares for you. Think too, the Psalms, I just referenced Psalm 3, and I'm going to go back to it again because it is just so good. It just comes up so often. Psalm 3. Listen to the words of verses 4 through 6. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. This is right after he said, the Lord is my shield. He is the one that is around about me. He is the one who lifts my head. 
He is the one who protects me. He says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. How about this? In verse 5, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. Out of that little death that is called sleep, right? It is the Lord is the one who sustains, who gives life, who causes breath, who causes the circulatory system to live, the synapses in the brain to fire, the breathing to occur, the heartbeats to happen. He is the one who sustains me even to those who on the outside seem that I am not sustained at all. He is the one who does these things. And as a result, in verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Because my trust, as David says, is in that he who is the sovereign God, the one who is over everything, the God who gives life to both the righteous and the unrighteous, the one on whom the rains fall on the good and the bad. That is my God, the one I trust in, that he has my best interests in mind. Now, it's not in my notes, but I'm just thinking about it here, that we will do just a slight point of application, again, not in my notes here, just going off the top of my head, but listen to this. While Christ was being nailed to the cross, you, 2,000 years in the future, saved in him, were on his mind. He had your best interests in view as he was being nailed to the cross. For all you that are found abiding in Christ Jesus, you were on his mind. It is not by an accident. It is because he is sovereign. And he has chosen who to save. This is the God in whom I find my refuge. Psalm 4, look at verse 8 of Psalm 4. Just kick forward there just a little bit. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. That's David's psalm of trust in the Lord. I highly commend the psalms to you all of you who are troubled and feel weak. The Psalms speak directly to our human condition. And David speaks so eloquently about what it's like. Psalm 5, 5 verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing, let, let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. Where is David's safety, his comfort? It's in the Lord. Psalm 16. We'll get there in a few weeks. Hopefully you'll forget what I say by that time. So I could do it again. 16, verse 8 and 9. I have set the Lord continually before me 
Stop right there for a second. Think about what is being said. I have set the Lord continually before me. I am considering the Lord in His ways at all times. I am looking to the Lord in all things. I am understanding everything through the Lord. I am biblical in my worldview of what is going on. I want to keep Him first and foremost. Before me. He is before me. And because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. The Lord is his deliverer. But rather than giving all the credit for the Lord is delivered to David, let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4. For you have been a defense for the helpless. You have been a defense for the helpless. A defense for the needy in his distress. A refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. Consider what is being said there. It is a defense for the defenseless, a defense for the needy and the helpless, a refuge in the storm, shade from the heat. And what does he say? That those who are against you, it is like just rain against a solid wall. They are unassailable by it, trusting in the Lord. Nahum 1.7, Nahum 1.7 For you have been a refuge for the helpless, a defense for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. I'm sorry, I just reread Isaiah there. But Nahum says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. He cares for those who trust in him. Now, as a point of application, I would understand that there are times it is difficult to trust in the Lord because you are in the thick of it. But notice how it doesn't say how much to trust in the Lord. What it does say is to put whatever trust you have in the Lord. Now, moving forward to the New Testament... Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 12. He starts with, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. He is able to guard us until we pass into his loving arms. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me 
the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I want you to understand he is in the Mamorite prison right now. Within weeks, if not days, his head will be separated from his body. Notice how he speaks. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Think about that. He, he knows he is going to be executed. He knows that his death is at hand. He knows that he will be beheaded. He is in a dark, deep prison, the Mamorite prison. Yet these are the words he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Because of this, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is what God is doing. That is where, where Paul finds his safety. Not a bathtub-sized pocket of air, but in the immensity, in the enormity, in the eternality, in the infinitude that is in Christ, in, in our triune God. Facing death, he says, he will rescue me. And he's not talking about rescuing from the death that is facing him. For us, it's the same. There is no other place to seek comfort, solace, safety, assurance than in the Lord. And I will tell you that we will try to find comfort, safety, assurance, and everything else but the Lord. We will find it in distraction. We will find it, try to find it in our checkbooks. We will find it with our credit cards, with the internet, with work, with if I just got a, if, if I just had a new car, a new job, a new spouse, it would all be good. I will tell you this right now, that we must find it in Christ. He must be enough. He must be the sole provider of that refuge and safety that we look for. He must be that for us. As we move into the second verse of Psalm 11, he builds on this. So he said, I find my refuge in the Lord. How can you say to run to a mountain where there is no safety or it's only temporary at best? Verse two, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready the arrow upon their string. They are ready to attack at any given moment. They are ready to strike at any given time to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. 
The wicked will attack the righteous at all times, and they will attack from the darkness. You will not even know where it's coming from. Not like an honorable fight, one against the other, where you can see who your foe is, but the attacks will come from all over the place. He probably does, David probably doesn't even know where these attacks are coming from. They don't know, he doesn't know who is doing this. Wicked people seeking to destroy. We can say here that a kingdom that is set up, that David's kingdom is set up uh, as a theocracy with God at the top. Okay, ones that are seeking to destroy that, and we'll find this in the next verse. That striking at the righteous, notice how it says in verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It is the destruction of a, uh, of a kingdom that is built upon God's laws. So how, do we, how is the attack coming in this case? So the, are, the righteous are attacked. You see that David is being attacked here. He would be that one that would uphold the law of God in this system. And if that is attacked, if he is gone and those foundations that are destroyed, what should the righteous people do? If those things that have been set up as God-honoring and God-worshipping are destroyed, is it all lost for the righteous? Is it all lost for the good? Is it all lost for David? Is it all for not? Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. Hosea 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, so let him discern these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. Those that are attacking the foundations want these righteous things gone. They are the ones that stumble over the law of God. Hence their attack against the things of the Lord and his ways. In this case where the, the, the society is built on and, and, and thrives under that. To a large degree we can see that now from our perspective where things are where evil is now seen as good or that's what they tell you and good is seen as evil the benefit for a society when there's a large christian population is that the society as a whole benefits it's just the way it is you see that throughout throughout history but what we see is the attack on those foundations of the things that are good and right and wholesome right even now from our perspective. What are we to do when the foundations are destroyed? David clearly knows what to do. It is to worship and find refuge in the one who is God and sovereign over all these things that God knows is happening. That he is the safety that all are looking for that are found in him. 
those that claim that the true foundations can be destroyed are kidding themselves. For the foundations for those that are found in Christ Jesus are unassailable, are firmly bedded on this foundation that runs into eternity. Matthew chapter 7, the one that you're all familiar with. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, we know that this is Jesus speaking. We know that this is the Jesus that David foretold of, especially in Psalm 110. Verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, that house and it fell and great was its fall. David's foundations are in the Lord, looking for a Messiah who he does not know yet. David can attest to being found foundationally in the Lord and trusting in him. He need not worry about the crumbling foundation because remember at the head of this psalm, he said, in the Lord I take refuge. That solid rock that is there. Psalm 18.2. David speaking, starting in verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Notice that the Lord is his strength. He doesn't say that I love you in my strength, O Lord. I love you, O Lord, who is my strength, right? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. My stronghold. David, with a life of trusting in the Lord, even though he stumbled greatly at times. Verse 3, if the foundations are the destroyed, what can the righteous do? What shall we do is the great question. What shall a person do if those foundations are destroyed from David's perspective in society and our perspective from society. Those who are telling David to run and to flee are those that are not trusting in the Lord or perhaps don't even know the Lord. Those are the ones that do not trust in God's sovereign plan. They cannot possibly see salvation uh, through even death and destruction. If you recall of 1 Samuel chapter 22, you could see where foundations were certainly destroyed. 
you would remember that that is when David was fleeing from Saul. Saul sought to murder him. Right? He comes to the priest Ahimelech and seeks food who the priest gives him, the consecrated bread, because he doesn't know, the priest doesn't know that David is fleeing from Saul. And David leaves, and Saul comes with his men. And what happens? Through Doeg, he puts all the priests to death. Even though they said, we had no idea that he was fleeing from you. He puts them all to death. Those administrators of God's ways were put to death right there. One cannot help it. What should we do? What can we do when all the priests are put to death like that? It is certainly an example uh, of, of foundations that are being taken away. And David knows this, right? Looking backwards, David, would, David of course, would remember these things. What happens when the king himself, Saul himself, is the one destroying the foundations? What is someone to do? It's not a trick question. What someone is to do is to trust in the Lord as your only refuge. Because the problem is, if you are trusting in these people, if you are upended by elections, you are not trusting in the Lord. Because guess who puts every ruler into place? The Lord. Every ruler from George Washington and Pol Pot and Hitler has been put into place by the Lord. The answer is simple. What is the righteous to do? Go on being righteous and trusting in the Lord's plan for his glory. That you're a part of a kingdom that is not part of this world. You have a king that is, that is over everything. You are a part of an inheritance that lasts forever. For us then, abiding in Christ Jesus is the, what we are to do regardless of what is happening around us in trusting in what Christ is doing and continue to be righteous in all that we can to be more like his image. In a world that is upside down, God has not changed. God has not moved from his position. God's laws have not changed. He is immutable, unchangeable, and firmly placed in heaven and over all things. So what we do when everything is upended is we go on seeking the truth that is found in our triune God. Regardless of the chaos that is going around us or within us. It is true that those that are found following Christ will be persecuted. That there will be suffering for the faith. It is a natural outpouring of the general hatred of the things of God. It is a general rule that the foundations will be attacked. That you will be claimed to be a fool for following a risen Savior. 
But the truth is that God reigns, that Christ is seated on the throne, that Christ is interceding for you right now, that Christ was interceding for Paul when he was facing certain death. And Paul knew the truth that he would see his Savior face to face. Verse 4 of this Psalm 3, uh, Psalm 11, the Lord is in his holy temple. This does not mean the temple on earth. This means in heaven. The holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. He looks and sees everything that people are doing. He understands all that they do. All that the unrighteous do, that the wicked do, are kept in account. He records everything that they are doing that are against his ways. He is seeing all those things. Nothing is lost, even though we've, we, can, we can cry out like the, like the psalmist of Psalm 73. Does God even know what they're doing? Remember, as he's standing looking upon the city and he sees the wicked and they seem to be prospering in everything they do. They are violent and greedy and yet he, and he says, does God even know what they're doing? What does he do? He seeks to understand God. He goes to the holy temple. He understands God's word and he sees that, that he was being told a lie. Of course God sees everything that is done. Of course God recognizes all the evil in the world. And he says then that I realize that those that are wicked, that those that are anti-God, that those that hate God are on a slippery, slippery slope. They will certainly go into destruction and damnation. That those that are tested here test the sons of men it isn't like a pop quiz. The test means that, every, that they are held up against a standard to see where they meet, match up. And that standard is God. I take the person, he takes the person, he measures their life against his holiness, and he will find them wanting. He will find them far away from that. Revelation 20, we find there at the end, 12 and 13, that all will stand, that they will stand before the judgment seat. They will be judged according to their deeds. Everything that they do. Although the wicked here may seem to stand for a moment, even be somewhat successful by worldly standards, it is only temporary. I believe it was Spurgeon said something like this, God does not think much of riches and he gives them to the wicked as dogs receive bones. Right? And we tend to chase after, we tend to chase after riches. Right? As our salvation, as our refuge. So it's not surprising that we could see that, like the psalmist in Psalm 73, that's alluded to here in Psalm 11, that the wicked would seem to be prosperous in the things that they would do. But when God holds their lives up and he compares them to his standards, they will be found to be lost. 
And so he says in verse 4 there, uh, excuse me, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the ones who loves violence his soul hates. So all face that judgment. All will be found to, to face that judgment. For those found in Christ Jesus, we are clothed in his righteousness. We are found as just as, as to be judicially just before him. For those found outside of Christ Jesus, they will be found to be lost and be damned. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Those that are the righteous, uh, Ephesians 4, 24, we have put on the new man, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth, of the truth. We say, why? Because of I'll pause for a second. I want to just relay on this point of verse 6 then. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone, and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. That idea of the raining snares is they will be entrapped by their desires. That the hardened of heart become more hardened of heart. They become more and more hardened, more and more against more and more things will trap them in their way of thinking that will build up more and more sin upon them. That, uh, that fire and brimstone, that's a homage to, to Sodom and Gomorrah itself. That will be the wrath that they will receive. But, verse 7, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. That uprightness there, the ones that seek after his ways, the ones that, that David is trusting in, oh, how he would long to see his Savior, Jesus. We know that Savior. The reward of the righteous then will be to see his face. David trusts in this. Remember his first verse, in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord, I seek my safety. In the Lord, I seek my comfort. In the Lord, I know that I have everything that I need that he provides for me. Exactly what I need, not necessarily what I want. The reward then is basking in the glory that we will see, or that he will see at the end of the age. That he knows that to seek the Lord's righteousness, that you are firm in his will, that you're secure in his desires. Now consider this psalm about what the David is saying about taking refuge in the Lord. He knows that this is a fact. He knows that that is absolute truth. That the Lord is the only place where he can find comfort and solace and safety, even if it is all chaos around him. There is nothing else that could give him any sense of satisfaction in this situation other than the Lord. We could say that finding that refuge in the Lord is where the rubber meets the road. It's all good 
talk, but doing it is difficult. Doing it is difficult. Maybe you don't have angry kings and murderous sons that are chasing after you or seeking your demise. But I bet, I guarantee you have other things that are pursuing you. Worry, anxiety, stress, maybe some even by your own making, jealousy, envy, anger, selfish ambition. Are you seeking refuge and relief in such things? Are you always seeking more? Is it striving for one more thing and that is all I need and then I will have it? And then I could trust in the Lord. If I get this, this one more thing, that'll be it. The house, the car, the promotion, the raise. One more thing. If I just got the results I wanted, if I just passed the test, will that be it? And yet many times what happens, we get exactly that thing we want and we still have a lack of peace and joy crowding in on us. Some of the most difficult things for us to do is a lack of contentment in our life. Epicurus said this, do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. Remember that what you now have was once among the things that you only hoped for. The Lord has set you in the place exactly where you should be for his glory and your benefit. This means knowing that all you have is from him. Of course, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed, makarios in the Greek, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is that beggar at the gate is the poor in spirit. The one who will only have his sustenance for the day if someone casts a coin to him. That is what we are before the Lord, recognizing that it is not woe is me spirituality. What it is is recognizing that everything we have is from him. We have gained nothing by ourselves. Therefore, we seek the refuge in the Lord, trusting in his plan for us. Of course, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that being found in Christ Jesus, there is nothing. We have riches unbelievable that are in found in Christ Jesus, and that there is only true joy. The only true joy we can have is found in knowing him. Everything else will fail and falls to moth and rust. But he is forever, and we will be with him forever. If we think a little bit about the natural outpouring of this, of finding refuge in the Lord, dashing to him for our safety and our comfort daily and our peace and assurance, the outflow would be joy. And where do we get joy from? The joy is, comes from having those things that trouble us taken care of, and by this, I don't mean that they're removed. 
What I mean is understanding that it is God's desire that we have whatever is troubling us at the moment. And that could be set us for the rest of our lives, or that could be taken away, but it is all for his glory. We remember that the burning bush did not burn. Sometimes we are in the fire, and we are burning, but we are not consumed because God is preserving us through that fire. Like a man was preserved under the ocean in unbelievable conditions, God is preserving us for so much more, for a life abundant being found in him, to walk joyously in everything that occurs to us. It is that culmination found in God, found in that joy that we find in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It is in the imperative. It is a command to do that. It is not optional. You are to rejoice in the Lord, and if we would just consider that while we, the Savior is being nailed to the cross, thinking about you, that we would consider it all joy for whatever we have before us today. Because He took the wrath of the Father for our sins and closed us in His righteousness. Therefore, cast your burdens upon your only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Know that He is on the throne interceding for you. He is the rock of your salvation and your true everlasting joy. Psalm 9, verses 9 through 10, Yahweh also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the, time, stronghold in the times of distress. And those who, who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who what? Those who seek you. Seek him with all that you can at any given moment. Seek him when you don't think you can seek him at all. Open up that scripture and see that it testifies about your Lord and Savior in that it is true that he is on that throne right now in your trouble and distress interceding for you. He is our only hope and our only refuge, Christ Jesus. Not in a pocket of air the size of a bathtub, but in the king of the universe and everything that has been and will be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for these reminders that are sometimes so hard to hear. We get so caught up in our own things every day that we, 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 we don't consider what was done, finished and over, that tetelestai, that you have finished the work, that we can live joyously, that we can count it all joy, whatever we have to go through, even like Paul in prison facing certain death. Please be with us this day. Strengthen us. Let us seek you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.